Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 253, Projects Past, Present, and Future, Sunday, July 26th, 2020. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. Each time I record an episode, I post show notes, photographs, and links to things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. I support this podcast through sales of my knitting designs, the most recent of which is Taking Back the River. It's a design for a toe-up sock that's the first in a collection I will be releasing over the course of this year. And all of the patterns in that collection are inspired by stories, characters, motifs, and themes of Clarissa Pinkola Estes' Women Who Run With the Wolves. I'm very appreciative for your pattern purchases. With this design and all designs in this collection, I'm offering tiered pricing, which means that you can purchase the pattern at a price that works for you. I feel really confident that this was the correct choice for pricing for this collection because knitters have purchased the pattern at every pricing tier and that just reinforces my idea that it would be a really great thing to just make it available at the price that works for you. So I'm very appreciative of that. I understand that many folks are disappointed, I think that's probably putting it mildly, um, with Ravelry's handling of issues of accessibility following their website redesign and maybe avoiding Ravelry altogether or avoiding making purchases via Ravelry. I certainly understand that and think it's valid. At this time, I don't have my patterns for sale in another, through some other method. However, I can make a pattern sale to you via PayPal if that interests you, and I will honor that pricing via PayPal. So you can choose the price that works for you. So if you're interested in that, please contact me. You can message me through Instagram. My website also has an email address where you can contact me and we can work something out. I will also make it very clear in my show notes when I am linking to something on Ravelry so that if you wish to avoid entering Ravelry's website, you'll certainly be aware of where that link is sending you. Right now, I am working on writing up the directions for the next pattern in this collection. It is incredibly autumnal. The release date will be September 20th. And I am using for my sample exquisite yarn from Hudson and West. This is spun at Battenkill Fiber Mill. It comes in sumptuous colors, many of which I think are just the epitome of autumn. 
and fall color. And making this project design and sample knitting even more pleasurable is that I have received my stitch markers from Matt of Birch Hollow Fibers. This little collection of four stitch markers and a progress keeper reinforces the themes and motifs that I'm using in this pattern collection. So you can certainly identify the one that is paired with the socks I've already released and you get a few hints about what is coming up. If you're interested in these stitch markers, which I highly recommend, they're so darling and I love to support Robin and Matt and Birch Hollow Fiber Arts, they are available on the website and I will put a link. I also used Robin's Sojourner Sock Yarn for one of the samples of that sock design and I really love the way they knit up. I also admire the way Robin is continually inventing new colors, and she does a lot of collaborations, many of them based on a literary theme. So if you like to combine your reading life and your knitting life, Bertello Fibers would be a good website to visit and check out because she's always coming up with something new. This episode contains the following segments, the front porch, power pantry, off the shelf, and so forth. Since I recorded last, I have completed a pair of socks and I have cast on another pair. My boss surprised me um, over the holidays with a gift subscription to a sock yarn club. I've never belonged to a sock yarn club. And this was, I think it's from Darn Good Yarn. And the yarn that I was knitting with is Indigo Quail Yarn. It comes in perfectly matching two balls of yarn to knit two perfectly matching socks, which I thought was great because I don't usually knit things that are perfectly matching. And it becomes very easy when the yarn is all ready for you. I didn't really take note of the weight of the yarn. Usually sock yarn is like 100 grams, at least 400 yards, that kind of thing. This was significantly less. I don't remember exactly what it was. It was such that I should have knit a pair of toe-up socks so that I could knit the foot to the size and then just use the rest of the yarn on the cuff and be done with it. But no, I started with cuff down socks and then after knitting not a significant but I guess a substantial cuff and leg, I realized that I was nervous about having enough yarn for the foot of the sock and since they were perfectly matching, I really didn't want to start using other yarn for the toe. And uh, it became <laughs> what I thought would be, you know, sort of a, a place to 
put my tension and anxiety in these perfectly matching socks and just take pleasure in how they were coming out started to just increase um, <laughs> tension and anxiety because I was worried they I wouldn't have enough yarn. So the only person in my um, sock-giving circle that these could possibly fit is my youngest sister, Jessica, who has the smallest feet. And I do have a template for her foot. I'm still concerned that they're going to be a little bit snug. But I just kind of tucked in the end and mailed them to her. And she can try them on. And if they fit and they're fine, she can take care of weaving in the ends and trimming them. And if not, I'll just be able to take out the toe and then try to find something coordinating to extend it just a little bit. I think it might only require like a quarter to a half inch, but still it might require some repair to get socks that fit her. Nevertheless, the yarn, the self-striping was really fun to knit with. Uh, I enjoyed the colors. I enjoyed the perfectly matching balls of yarn. And I just knit a standard cuff down sock. I used a heel flap and gusset on the side of the foot and my typical ribbing under the arch. Since completing those and sending them off, I looked in my stash at some sock yarn I've had, and I noticed that the opal yarn, I have one ball of opal from my stash, and I didn't realize that it's a cotton blend. It's about equal parts wool, poly, and cotton. And I thought that would be great for some summer shorty socks for my mom. And I may even be able to get more than one pair out of this because it's a pretty substantial put up. The yarn is really nice to work with. The cotton content, uh, you can definitely tell that it's cottony, but it's not hard on my hands. It's easy to work with. I'm not sure of the colorway. Um, yeah, I'm not sure of the colorway, but it's blues, greens, a little bit of purple and white, all very kind of muted, heathery colors because the cotton doesn't take the dye in that saturated way. And they're really kind of perfect for, for summer and to coordinate with things my mom wears in the hot months. So I hope to get these finished for her pretty soon. I'm already um, knitting the foot of the first sock and I, I knit in tandem usually when I knit socks. So I'll be casting the other one on soon. And they have a very sturdy heel flap. They'll have a gusset on the side of the foot and the ribbing under the arch, which I always, always do for my mom. The next project that's on my needles is another Rift. This is a design Rift T by Jacqueline C. Slack. It's incredibly popular, so you've probably heard of it. It's a cropped 
sweater. It's knit bottom up with a split hem and twisted rib. Some really beautiful twisted rib detail up the side seams, quote unquote seams. And um, just a very, the, I guess the body forms the sleeve and there's a little bit of a ribbed cuff. I just knit this from Cotton Comfort that I salvaged from another sweater that was knit a, a too dense a gauge, really. And so I just recycled that yarn into a rift that I really enjoy. And I've been wanting to make another. And I've been wanting to figure out how to use some of the hand spun that I was plying in March and early April. And I, all of a sudden it came to me that I could use my hand spun to knit another rift. So I had 550 yards of a kind of crazy three ply. So I was, I had all of these hand spun, like spindle spun singles in a wide array of colors. And I just kept switching out one color, keeping another two going for 550 yards of this three ply. It's muted, it's not super bright, um, but there is a lot of color going on. And 550 yards, I didn't think would maybe be quite enough for a rift tee. So I began with some black sport yarn I had in my stash because I thought that would coordinate pretty well with the, the muted and deeper colors of this hand spun. And I did my split hem in the black. Then I joined my hand spun and I decided to use a helical knitting technique for incorporating this hand spun into the sweater so that there wouldn't be really obvious pooling or striping. And I think that was a great decision. Grace O'Neill has a very informative and clear episode. It's like a mini-sode about how to do helical knitting. Essentially, it's a one round jogless stripe it doesn't look like a stripe in my sweater because I'm just blending this this um three ply together but that's structurally that's the technique is you're doing one round jogless stripes and it's going really well I began the twisted rib on a US 7 and then I did decide to go up to an eight for the body of the sweater. That's really unusual for me to use the needle size recommended by the pattern. I'm, I would say 95% of the time I am dropping at least one needle size. But I like the softness and the looseness of my hand spun knit on these US 8s. And I think that the first version I did of the Rift T is not very oversized at all. 
And this one will be a little more relaxed. I hope I like it. But I, I really like the fabric that I'm getting. So I will continue working on that and just, you know, try not to stress out too much about running out of yarn. I will likely lengthen the body just a little bit more than she recommends, but not too much because I don't have um, a lot of extra yarn. My yarn is happily inconsistent. It goes from about a light fingering to a worsted. Most of the time I would say it's kind of like a DK weight and I'm thoroughly enjoying the knitting of this second Rift Tee by Jacqueline Seaslack. This intense summer heat has really dissuaded me from continuing work on my Bresse. It's a pullover designed by Marie Wallen. I'm knitting it in her beautiful British breeds. I love the knitting of it. It's just, I really can't think about that sweater right now. I brought it to the point where all of the increases are complete and now I'm going to continue the, the motifs down the body and then most of the body of this sweater is plain. I'll be knitting it in beautiful deep mulberry color. There is some thought involved in working on this because I'm reconfiguring it from the bottom up knitting instructions and sometimes I just feel quite foggy like I can't get my brain around whether or not what I'm doing is correct, whether I have the correct stitch count, whether I have enough stitches on the needles, and I think I need to add some for the underarms of the sleeves. And it just, it's just sitting on hold for now. But I, when, if we get a few cool summer days, I may pick that up again. I've been contemplating some future knits in lighter weight yarns, and I haven't made a move on either of these yet, but I'm really thinking quite a bit about two different designs. Um, both, I think they're both by designers I've never knit a pattern of theirs. The first is Tokenatsu, Tokonatsu, by Bernice Lean. She is Yarnagara on Instagram, and Tokonatsu translates Everlasting Summer. Bernice hails from tropical Singapore, so she designs things that are well suited, I think, for hot weather. And I just happen to have two skeins of oysters and pearls wool cotton blend yarn in their summer colorway which is um it's a nice it's a really nice pink maybe just a little bit purple leaning but it's a really pleasing kind a little bit bright summer color and it's a fingering, light fingering weight yarn. So I think the drape would be nice for this piece, which is a bit oversized sleeveless top with some design options around the neckline that mean you could wear it, you could wear it reversed. Um, 
and there's a tie that you can tie in front of your neck or you could tie in back of your neck to create some different looks with this top. There's also kind of a rounded hemline, which is appealing, and a little bit of a textured feature around the shoulders. It's, it's intriguing. It's an intriguing design. There are, I think, just over 100 different projects that have been completed on Ravelry. I was looking at some of the photographs of um, the knitting of folks who have completed this pattern and what they say about it, how they like it. So that's something I've been thinking about for this cotton wool blend yarn. I've also been, and I've long been contemplating, some sort of boxy sweater. I get a lot of wear from my Mandy Boat tee um, sort of sweatshirt-like tops that I have sewn from knit fabric, but I have yet to knit a sweater that really has this sort of sweatshirt boxy feel to it. And I don't like the ones that are way oversized. I don't think that's something that I would feel comfortable in. So I've been searching for a design that's kind of like moderately oversized um, with, and the typical sleeve is quite fitted. So you balance out that boxy bodice with a tighter fitting sleeve. One I like is Markley by Elizabeth Doherty. I think it kind of hits the sweet spot and certainly I admire Elizabeth Doherty's design. She's very well respected. Her patterns are, you know, knit by lots of folks. So that interests me and the yarn I have in mind is yarn I purchased at Maryland Sheep and Wool last May. I bought two skeins of Jill Draper's Mohonk Light in a black cherry color. It just so happens that this color is nearly identical to the sample uh, of Elizabeth Doherty's pattern. It's not Jill Draper, but the color is very similar. And so it made me think of this yarn and the fact that I have it and I would like to be knitting with it. And so that is in my queue right now. Those two items are things that maybe I will be knitting as the, the summer continues and we go into hopefully sometime a little bit cooler weather. Hashtag Power Pantry. I am still cooking quite simply as the kitchen renovation persists. We ripped out our entire kitchen on May 16th, and we have been slowly working on the renovation and reinstall. Um, supply chain issues and the length of time it takes to get custom-made windows and cabinets has exceeded our expectations for the length of time we would be spending on this project. 
but it is keeping us busy and distracted and engaged in wholesome work during this pandemic. So I suppose overall, that's a good thing. And we're happy to be working on our kitchen and certainly grateful that we have the resources to do that. Last week, we did the plumbing and installed a faucet. So I have a sink, a stove, refrigerator, and a small cart that serves as my countertop, which makes this one bowl vanilla cake such an extraordinary find in a recipe this summer. I've made it, I think I've made it about five or six times. Um, sometimes to bring over to my mom's house, sometimes just for us. It's great at, It's great alone. I mean, especially in the morning with a cup of coffee, it's been excellent. I've also used it as a sort of shortbread type thing for strawberry shortcake, just slicing it in half and adding lots of berries and ice cream or whipped cream. And it all cooks up in one bowl and it keeps pretty well, which is important for a cake in the summertime because they can mold very quickly, especially the kind that you put together with butter. But this one bowl of vanilla cake is made with oil and that helps it to have a bit longer shelf life. I found the recipe on Genius Desserts. Uh, on the Food 52 website, and the recipe is from Jamie Curl. She has a cookbook with this cake and a few others that are kind of like endless variations on a theme. So you could take this recipe and add other flavorings, but I'm just enjoying it as is. One of the ingredients is sour cream which helps to replace that butter and gives it a little bit of tang and interest in the cake. And the other is just a bit of boiling water, which really helps to pull the whole batter together and you make it in one bowl. And you don't need a hand mixer and you don't need, you know, you don't need a KitchenAid or anything like that. You really don't even need to have dry ingredients in one bowl, wet in another you can just put the dry ingredients, make a well, gradually add your wet ingredients, and the whole thing pulls together. The recipe is for a cake in a 9 by 13 pan. I have been halving the recipe and making it in an 8 by 8 pan. I have never made a 9 by 13 version because I just... COVID has meant I just don't gather with that many people, so... The smaller cake is working out great. One thing I will say is that it takes a lot longer to bake an oil-based cake than a butter, I think. Because the first one I made, I pulled it out before it was really baked through. It was a little gummy and doughy. Still good flavor, but the texture wasn't quite right. So I made it again and I really let it bake until a toothpick comes out clean and that is 
a truly satisfying cake. So I will link to this in the show notes. I highly recommend this recipe as well as the other genius desserts and recipes. It's kind of fun because you can watch a video online, see how the whole thing is put together, and you also get some, usually some additional tricks and tips along the way. This recipe has some sort of compote also that goes with it, and then butterscotch whipped cream. That was new to me. I have always made whipped cream using just regular sugar, sometimes some cream of tartar if I want it to have staying power, but I have never used brown sugar. Um, to sweeten my whipped cream. And now that I have, I think I will never go back because it does give a butterscotch-like flavor to the whipped cream, and it's absolutely delicious. So I haven't made the compote. I've just macerated strawberries or other berries to go with it. The whipped cream, though, is gold. Off the shelf, I have been looking through my collection of books of poetry for things to read and reread. And as I was looking um, through my collection, I was struck by a book I read quite a while ago by Cornelius Eadie. It's called Brutal Imagination. And I've seen Cornelius Edie read quite a few times at Dodge Poetry events. He's an amazing reader of his own work and a champion of the works of others. Brutal Imagination takes as its subject, you may remember this news item. In 1994, in South Carolina, a woman named Susan Smith claimed that a black man had kidnapped her two children, um, which were in her car, and the FBI went on this unbelievable search for this black man and the two Smith children until it was eventually confessed that the woman had drowned her own children and that this black man was an invention of her own imagination. And so the poetry collection takes this as its subject. It was also made into an off-Broadway play, I, which I unfortunately uh, did not know about. I, I have not seen that. Uh, but it does give some indication of the drama and the persona development that exists within the poems themselves. And so I have been rereading those. It's been a very long time since I've read that collection. And in light of recent events, it's incredibly evocative, powerful and pertinent. And I also took the opportunity to explore a little bit um, 
some of Cornelius Edie's poetry available on the Poetry Foundation website and found one that I will share with you today. This centers around a character, white character, who appears in Lorraine Hansberry's A Raisin in the Sun. It's pretty popular high school reading in the United States, so I think many listeners may be familiar with it. It's also interesting to consider Raisin in the Sun um, in 2020. I think it's a, a powerful, crisp kind of work with themes that continue to be relevant. So this is What Do You Call by Cornelius Edie from Poetry Foundation website. I will read it to you and I will also link in the show notes. The Poetry Foundation has an audio recording of Cornelius Edie reading this himself as well. So if that interests you, I encourage you to check it out. What do you call, you know, the white guy in the film version of Raisin in the Sun, pudgy balding head who comes to tell the black family not to move to the white Chicago suburb, the man who smiles with the knife, who is a knife, but fools them for a second because They're looking at him the way he expects them to look at him. Later, as they mop up the blood, they replay what he said, that he was elected by his neighbors because he's the guy that can get his foot in the door. Whipped and rumpled like he's been apologizing since he popped out of his mother's womb like he's a close personal friend of sorry. He's sorry now in his wilted suit. This is the way the knife gets through the door, and he sits there as they think, maybe he ain't a knife in sheep clothes. Bah, bah, bah. Such a foolish-looking, goofy little white guy. A small part of them quietly embarrassed they're even thinking that about him. They can barely hold their manners in check, and that's his trick, the trick of the knife you don't see until you're cut. And the strangest thing about this, the damn thing is how meek he still looks after he cuts and cuts again. Done as a female robin, his tongue slices and whittles, he is singing the song of his brood. Money if you stay, fire if you come. As they think, how did a white robe, a tinder cross, and goons club trot through this door? A pack of Dobermans couldn't have done a neater job. Except that Dobermans, of course, never apologize. 
so forth. I have quite a bit of sewing content to tell you about today. First of all, I've been making some different projects for a very special little person in my life whose name is Briar. She's currently six months old, and I finished up a little pair of fluffy, sweet little sheep that I saw in the Revive issue of Taproot magazine. I think the pattern is called Sheep Lovey or Little Sheep Lovey. These are square stuffed animals. They don't have arms or legs. They're made from some very fluffy kind of fabric and I found something excruciatingly difficult to work with but supremely fluffy on fabric.com. They have ears that protrude and then they have some hand stitching and felt for a face. So I made one that is exactly as directed in the pattern instructions from Taproot. And then I made another that was a sleepy version. So I just made closed eyes and then I added some lavender to the wool I used to stuff this particular sheep. So there's an awake version and a sleepy version and the sleepy version has some lavender in it. And those have gone off to Briar and I'm looking forward to finding out how she's enjoying them. I made a second set for a friend who runs a charity auction in the summer um, to raise money for a foundation she's on the board. And I thought they would be a cute little pair. So I made another set and I've sent them off to her. That's Little Sheep Lovey from issue 31 of Taproot. Now I'm working on a cloth book. This is a design I found in the green issue of Taproot. I did not write down the issue number, but it's in the green issue and it's a moon phase cloth book. The pattern recommends a lot of machine embroidery and free motion arm for doing the writing. I, I can't imagine anyone but a very experienced quilter being able to pull that off. Um, so I'm just doing those machine embroidery parts by hand. And I was sent some really nice kind of plush fabric from my friend Sarah. So I'm using that for the moon and doing kind of like a reverse applique design. And then a variety of other kinds of hand stitching to make the pages of this book. So as you turn it, you see all of the phases of the moon. And then you make a cover. There really aren't that many directions for the cover, but I think I will hand embroider it with Briar's name and moon Facebook or something like that. I'm making it very, very simple so that it could be potentially thrown in the wash. Um, and 
I've replaced the blind stitching in the directions with just reverse applique because after three tries, I was not able to get a very crisp outline. It just seemed weak, like it would pull apart or look sloppy after a child had handled it. And so I thought the reverse applique would be more effective. So I've completed four of the eight pages, and of course I still have the, the cover to do, but I'm working away on this project. And I'll put a few photographs of this in my show notes for this episode so that you can see it. I was looking at some of the videos available on Creative Bug, and after having pretty good success with the Cumbria Duster from Friday Pattern Company, I was interested in the video tutorial for the Seabright Swimmer, a one-piece bathing suit with a very deep V-neck. And Chelsea of Friday Pattern Company walks you through all of the steps to complete this bathing suit. And I started thinking about making a bathing suit. Who am I? <laughs> I've never had any interest in undergarments or anything like that in terms of my sewing, like no interest whatsoever. But suddenly it became really important to me to try making my own bathing suit. Now, I have no plans to be anywhere near water this summer. We are not taking a vacation. Um, we don't have a pool. We don't have access to a pool. There's just no bathing suit needed <laughs> to get through this summer. And I think that's what made the appeal so great is if we had a vacation planned and I needed a bathing suit, I probably would not have turned to sewing one myself because the pressure would have been too great. Like I need a bathing suit. What if I get all this material? I work on it. It doesn't come out. I still need to buy one. So somehow the fact that there's no water in my summer freed me up to make a bathing suit. And I'm really pleased with the result. It is taking something, and perhaps this is part of, I think this has quite a bit to do actually with the delay in this episode, is that it's very difficult for me to conceive of talking to you about this bathing suit and not posting a photograph of myself wearing the bathing suit. Because when I listen to a podcast, that's what I want. Someone talks about their bathing suit, came out great, where's your photo? And that's a big step for me, but I think it's important to share it with you. And I am pretty pleased with it. I did not spend a lot of money on my fabric. I bought it on fabric.com. You need a main fabric and a lining fabric that both have the exact same amount of four-way stretch. And the tutorial walk me through every step. There's a lot of basting. 
there's a lot of zigzag and I also use the stretch stitch on my machine. But I was able to carry out all of that pretty easily. And I don't have a very fancy machine, as you know. I have a Janome 500 Sewist, completely manual, no computerized anything. Um, and I thought that was great for this machine. I did use a ball, ball needle for knits. And I did use um, clips, like quilting clips, instead of pins, because pinning into the stretch fabric uh, didn't seem like a very good idea. So making a bathing suit is kind of cool because you don't need to pre-wash the fabric and there's no ironing. So that was fun. <laughs> when I cut out the pattern, I added an inch to the length of the torso. I'm quite long in the torso. I wish I had added two inches. It's a little bit tight in the torso. I was unhappy with that aspect when I tried it on immediately after making it however my mom said well have you washed it no <laughs> so I used some soak in a warm water bath I washed it and I hung it to dry and the entire bathing suit is a little more fluid and flexible and soft after that so I'm not quite as concerned about the torso length but if I were to make this again I would increase that bodice length by two inches instead of one. The construction of the bathing suit is that there is kind of like a brief style front and back a full back there's a lot of coverage in the back like a like a um a t-shirt almost, and then two pieces that come down and meet in the center front. So there's a plunging V in the front and just a lot of um, flexibility in coverage in the front because there's gathering. So there's a lot of extra fabric. So it will accommodate quite a range of bust sizes. The suit also has a sleeved option if you want sleeves on your swimsuit or if you want to treat it kind of like a bodysuit style. And then there are some options for closing it up in the front, which I thought I would be following, but I really like the, the plunging V. I used a striped main fabric and when I was envisioning this bathing suit and one of the things that motivated me so much about it is I had this idea that I would do horizontal stripes for the brief and I would do vertical stripes for the top of the bathing suit so that you would really get that elongated look. And I like the way that came out. I also like the coverage around the armholes. It's like just enough, but doesn't pull up tight up in my business and my armpit. And I really like that. And I think that the directions were straightforward. And for a first effort on a bathing suit, you know, I'm wearing it. I've worn it to sit in a sun chair in my yard for a little bit. I've also worn it under a long black skirt 
as a top on a very hot day. And it's comfortable for many hours. And I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it enough to, you know, be dreaming about making another one for, you know, next summer when hopefully there will be a beach vacation um, at some point. So this is the Seabright Swimmer from Friday Pattern Company. This is available as a pattern, but if you get the Creative Bug tutorial, you can print out the pattern. You don't need to buy it separately. And it wasn't too bad being a swimsuit. You know, I really despise printing out patterns, taping them together. I don't like that at all. But because it wasn't, you know, a big garment, it was just a swimsuit, I I was grinning and bearing it. And there were a number of pattern pieces that I didn't need to print out since uh, because of my size, number one, and because I wasn't doing the sleeves. So it ended up being kind of mintable, minimal page printing. And then I made a pattern from freezer paper based off of that printout that I did. I made the size 10, 12. Yeah. Um, and I think that's true to size. I think the only thing I would adjust would be the, um, the length. And I think on the pattern that 10, 12 is the large size. The pattern is size inclusive. It has quite a range of sizes. I admire the Friday Pattern Company for using um, models of many sizes and descriptions. And also each pattern has kind of like a dedicated charity that when you purchase that pattern, you're making a contribution to that particular charity. So I admire that that business practice as well. And Chelsea is like super cool um, and unflappable in her description of how to put a garment together. I really admire her tutorials and find them fun to follow on Creative Bug. This is the second one that I've done. Finally, I'm working on a second version of the Mississippi Avenue dress. This is a design by Sew House 7. I've sewn their tea house dress before. I admire their designs and pattern construction. The directions are pretty clear. And I made a wearable muslin version of this dress to kind of work out the pattern and liked it enough that I'm devoting some dead stock rayon chalet to making a second version. I've lengthened the bodice and therefore also the the skirt length of this dress. It's a sleeveless dress with interesting construction that there's an elastic um, insert, just two-thirds inch elastic around the waist, but not all the way around because the dress is constructed with a front panel that goes from the neckline all the way down to the hemline. 
So in the very front center of the dress, there's not elastic. It's just, you know, straight fabric. Um, and I think that's really elegant design. There are also ties at the shoulders, um, sort of spaghetti strap kind of ties around the shoulders to cinch them together, which allows you some nice coverage in the neck and upper back, but still the elegance of pulling them together. I think the sleeve hole opening is very comfortable and I like the sweep of the dress. It's not full but it certainly has some drape to it. My initial wearable muslin was in a just a quilting kind of cotton that's kind of looks like a tablecloth. <laughs> this is kind of like a work work around the house dress, which I love. But I did not follow um, to the T the directions for the neckline on my wearable muslin. And I am trying to follow them for this second version. I find them a little bit confusing. And the trouble is with the rayon chalet, once you sew that, unpicking it and doing it again, if you decide you want to make another go, really leaves the fabric beat up, damaged, and it could even be stretched out, although I did follow all the directions for stay stitching of this fabric because Shally is so prone to stretch. So right now the dress is assembled. All the pattern pieces are together, but I need to work on the neckline and I'm a little bit afraid of it. <laughs> I brought the dress in progress and the pattern to my mom and she kind of talked me through it, but she also said, you know, you really only have one go probably with this neckline, so you may want to baste it in. I hate basting. So there it is. Um, kind of stalled out, but um, I am motivated uh, to eventually finish this. It's in a deep eggplant color which I think will be great for late summer fall even winter I think this dress is a great layering piece which is one of the reasons that I decided to purchase the pattern I think I could have this in a variety of colors in my wardrobe and I also think I could do some hacks with sleeves and different things like that so once again, the patterns that I've mentioned in this episode are Rift by Jacqueline Seaslack, Tokonatsu by Bernice Lean, uh, The Markley by Elizabeth Doherty, Little Sheep from Taproot um, Revive issue, Moonface Cloth Book in the Green issue, the Seabright Swimmer by Friday Pattern Company and Mississippi Avenue Dress by Soho 7.
Thank you so much for listening. I wish you well in all of your making endeavors and please accept my very best wishes for health and wellness this week. Take care.